One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. Derry still have it, and it's cleared as Pat Shields has it. They have to hold possession now, Kevin. The final whistle blows. You can look at your television sets again because the people of Kevin can rejoice. The long wait is over. The famine has been ended. So there you go, Conan. The famine has been ended. Kevin's first uh, Ulster title in 28 years. Marty on the commentary. We might get to a little bit about Marty later on. An inexperienced Marty Morrissey, I suppose. Um, he tackled there were playing at, playing at one stage. But it was some unbelievable. It was some unbelievable scenes. Mickey Graham said after the match, um, I turned around and I think I was hit by a herd of buffalo. I've never seen a pitch fill up as quick. And then you have the Martin McHugh interview out in the pitch where he's been accosted and he looks like he's in pain, whatever they're doing to him behind him. And he's been lifted up and the interview only lasts about 40 seconds. But there was huge... Cavan fans haven't had a lot to shout about. But by God, they seem like a fairly wild, passionate sort of sort of crowd. Yeah, I thought, I thought the shots of them in the crowd as well, just in the last few minutes of the game as well, were very, uh, I don't know, it, was, it just really showed how much they were they were feeling it, like you know, every one of them were, were biting their nails. And you're right about, about Mark McHugh. Like, I'm actually surprised he didn't even just you know, turn around at one stage and say, come on, like, get off me. Or, like, he, he looked in, in real pain because they were like pulling his hair and pulling his jersey and somebody <laughs> like, was patting like, well, yeah, and like somebody just planted a hat on top of his head at the very end of it, and like, it didn't look fun for him. I'm sure he looks back now with nice memories, but there and then he looked excruciated. Yeah, I was reading a nice little piece by Paul Fitzpatrick in the Anglo Celt, um, and he said that 102 year old Bernie Cusack from Gary Moore, he was listening to the match on the radio because obviously he was too old to go to, and he said during the game he kept asking his family how long was left because he knew he didn't have uh, very long to live himself. 
And when the game when the game was over, his last word his last words were "Thanks be to God." And he died at five a.m. the following morning. Uh, his family oh said he, he died a very happy man. What a little story that is. That's unbelievable. See, that's not very old stories, but I actually got goosebumps there when you when you said that. <laughs> you are a big softy for stuff like that. Oh, that's amazing. Just trying to like, thank you. Remember the story that Kieran Dunn he told of like you know a Kerry man listening to his radio, but an elderly Kerry man listening to the semi final against Dublin back in Tralee. Like that's that's the sort of stuff there. Your man probably lives for Cavan football. Like and and what a way, what a way to end these days. Yeah, fantastic. So the funny thing about this game is Derry were absolute raging hot favourites. They had hammered Tyrone in the semi final, and they were two in a row Ulster champions. Uh, Brian Mullins was their manager. They had nine of the 15 who won in All-Ireland in 1993, only four years previous. And added to that, they had four players of the under-21 All-Ireland winning team. They beat Mead earlier that year because I, I paid particular interest in that. They beat Mead well in the final because Mead had beaten us by a late penalty um, in the Leinster Championship that year. So like Johnny McBride, Sean Marty Lockhart, Joe Cassidy, they had those. That, so you would have thought on paper... Derry were primed to give the All-Ireland a rattle that year between the nine experienced players and the, you know, the, the, the few young lads then fresh out of an under-21. Yeah, and I think, I, I genuinely think they, they should have. I think they probably look back at that game as one that, that really got away. In fairness to Calvin, uh, like we'll talk about it in part two, but like, you know, all the big players stood up and I think they dominated Derry's big players, you know, and that was, that was a big part of it. But, Derry definitely didn't play well. There was a couple of moments as well that we'll talk about that, that went against them. And I just think they got a few things wrong as well management-wise. Like they, they had a strong enough team there they, they go and compete, like as they showed the next year when they sort of wiped the floor in Ulster and, and, won the, and won the championship and lost out to that Galway team. You know, So they really probably look at that one as thinking, God's sake, like we let an Ulster title slip and potentially a, a, a rattle them all out. Well, that was the thing. So, like, I mean, Kevin... On the other hand, we're lucky in the quarterfinal against Fermanagh. Um, Anthony Ford got a late point um, to get them a draw in that, and they won the replay, then beat Donegal in the semi-final um, to get into the final. But they were rank outsiders, and like I said, Derry were All-Ireland favourites after hammering Tyrone. But Cavan were on the rise. They're under-21s, um, had won an Ulster in 96, and they lost the final after replay in 95. Um, they beat uh, they were beaten by Kerry in the All-Ireland Final in 1996. So lads like Peter Riley, Terry Farrelly, uh, Mickey Graham, who was dropped, interestingly, for the final, Dermot McCabe, Anthony Ford, Larry Riley, like all these, Jason Riley, all these fell, young lads were coming through. So, like, I mean, we've heard about the Cavan, you know, players coming through right now. Back in the 90s, that very same situation was happening, or at least they got an Ulster out of it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we're just waiting for them to, to do something spectacular with all these players. Like, no, like, and I think when you, you look back, uh, you know, obviously, as a Derry man, there's a few bones of contention that you have with the game, but genuinely, like, when I when I see, like, Anthony Toho being bettered for 50 minutes by Dermot McCabe, and when I see Henry Downey having to be moved off Carolyn from the centre and when you see Kieran McKeever struggling in, in full back like you, you know that a team are well worth their win as much as Derry might feel hard done by as well Well I'll pull you up on Kieran McKeever now in performance of the weekend he was the only Derry player I could pull out for performance of the weekend well listen we'll argue about that in part three um, yeah. what, about the, what about the celebration for Jason Riley's goal like a beautiful finish um, that 
was a Ravinelli uh, celebration from back in the late 90s. <laughs> on, on the Sunday game that night, Pat Spillane said, Ravinelli gets 42,000 a week for doing that. This man should get just as much. <laughs> well, I was uh, I was too busy just trying to figure out what had happened with uh, Damien O'Reilly and Johnny McBride because they both got pulled up then straight afterwards. I was thinking maybe O'Reilly, who set up the goal, probably had a bit on McBride afterwards, and like McBride got a yellow card, I think. So um, I was too busy focusing on that, looking for someone to be hard done by. <laughs> I felt sorry for David O'Neill, who took an awful boot to the face in the first minute. He got burst open, his whole his whole jersey destroyed in blood, and then Jason Riley comes on to him with about eighty minutes to go. Like I mean. <laughs> The poor, the poor chap. You know, do you know David O'Neill? I was actually thinking about it, um, watching him there. Like he, honestly, game for game, he w- would have been one of Derry's best players that I can remember playing. He just didn't play that often. He was ravaged with injury, but every time he played, like he, he seemed to do well. And like he wrapped Cahill up. I know he struggled a bit more with with Jason Riley when he came on, but I think he was probably one of the more standout ones from Derry point of view. Yeah, no, he definitely was. He played well. He was solid. And he fouled Jason Riley a little bit, but he only got the one he only got the one goal off him. So Marty did the commentary. This was a great game. We'll talk about this in part two, an enjoyable game. Marty didn't do it justice on the commentary at all. But again, it was his uh he was probably inexperienced. He had been a sideline reporter, I'd say pretty much up until that. So Kira Malouli, who's a, a news uh, correspondent for the for the Midlands, he was on the sideline duty. Maluli thought Tyrone were playing at one stage. Marty thought Kildare were playing at another stage. He says at one stage he called like Joe. He says the sides are level thanks to Big Joe. Like whoever has called Joe Bradley Big Joe, <laughs> Big Joe. He got players' names wrong. It was a, it was absolute disaster at all together. Yeah, he called Joe Cassidy the most dangerous forward in Ireland at one stage as well. You know, and Joe Cassidy's a good player, but like, I wasn't sure if he was thought of that highly at that time as an under twenty one. Um, he, he thought Joe Brawley had kicked the shot as well when it was Dermot Duggan. Like, you know, it was right foot. It was Dermot Duggan who is about four stone on on <laughs> Joe Brawley. And then, and then he actually said in the second half, so Carlin had kicked this monster score, and he said any criticism leveled at Ronan yeah, Carlin. That, that was Marty's false criticism. What the hell was that about? Like, and I was like, "Is like that is now his sixth point?" It's like, "Yes, it is his sixth point." Are you watching Henry Downey's moves off him? Literally, <laughs> only person that criticised Rona Carroll that first half was Marty Morrissey, and then he said, "Despite the criticism in the first half, he had a great first half. He was destroying Downey the whole way through the game. Like, I mean, it was fantastic." But he did say. Uh, he get the reason he thought Kildare were playing. Maluli thought Tyrone were playing. They were in the minor. They won the minor in '97. Leash beat them in the All Ireland final. The reason he thought Kildare were playing was because there was obviously score updates coming in because in Croke Park, Kildare and Mead were playing out um, a thrilling draw. Now, it could have been the first... They played three games that year. Um, the first two were draws. Well, the, the first replay was a draw after extra time and then Mead beat Kildare in the third match. So at the first replay, the score was 317 to 220. So maybe he was getting distracted by the Leinster, fo- the Leinster football <laughs> and he wasn't really paying too much attention. It was interestingly enough, Mead came off those three games against Kildare then and they ended up getting beaten by Offaly in the final. They got really shell-shocked with them, did a whole load of injuries. So that was just an interesting thing, I thought, while, while he was kind of talking about this match. We're watching this match as nostalgia and then a bit of other nostalgia kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. one into the mix of what's going on in Croke Park at that same time. Yeah, and he, even um, even so early in his career, I think he didn't uh, he didn't mind inserting a bit of an opinion in the commentary as well, which sometimes is just off-putting when it's the main guy doing it and not the co-commentator. Like, you, you know, it would just be like... Uh, 
think David O'Neill and Jason Riley were having a bit of a shoulder on each other when, when Riley came on. He's like, and there's no need for that. And you're like, oh, just shut up, Murray. Like, just just let them get on with the commentate on the match. Yeah. The big talk, I suppose the big talking point of this game is that the game should have been a draw. Now, there was nothing made uh, after this, but Raymond Cunningham's point was not even the relation of a point. Like, I mean, I had a fella on Twitter tried to tell me yesterday that he was he was behind it and it came in at the end or something like this. It did not. It didn't curl. It was one of those ones where he said it, he started it off exactly where he wanted to start it off with, but he didn't he didn't clip the outside of the ball to bring it back in and it just stayed going straight. It just was not a point at all. No, the, the, ca- the camera was behind it as well. <laughs> you know, it didn't yeah, matter yeah, Spectator is behind it. Yeah, it's, it's it. That was a really bad call. Like, and it is disappointing. Like, you know, that you have a referee who's Pat McEnany, you have two umpires down there, you have linesman at that side, you have a fourth official at that side as well, and like nobody thought. Like, you know, you could hear the screams of the dairy players after after the point was given. Like, you know, and I think Kevin lads were were surprised as well. And like, I don't know if you're going to talk about it, but I think there was a sure free on Seamus Downey at the very end as well, which would have been clipped over for a draw and injury. And it, yeah, I'm going to talk about that in part two. Like, I mean, I that was a big call. But Carolyn made a brilliant block on Tohill and he fell in front of Seamus Downey. I don't think he meant to trip him, but he did trip him. So listen, we might get to, we'll get to that um, yeah. at the end. But that was a very brave call by Pat McEnany. But Raymond Cunningham was uh, he's he's been interviewed since and he's admitted, you know, that it was it wasn't a point. I just, was there a big controversy in Derry about that or it, like I don't remember a big thing going on about it because I know Leash offered. Carlo a replay in nineteen ninety five in the championship for a point that was given that was a wide. Right, no, there was nothing there was nothing like that. There was a lot of talk about it. Everyone knew it was a wide. Everyone felt a bit disgruntled by it. But I think because it was in the first half as well, like just maybe it wasn't as uh it wasn't that sort of vociferous and all the yeah. criticism for it. Social media obviously plays a big part. And then I think the fact that Derry just didn't play well too. Like, you know, maybe they in some level they thought that they might not have deserved. They deserved it, yeah, because oh, they were hot favourites, obviously, going into it. So they would it would have looked very bad if Derry were crying for, for a replay. Yeah. yeah, no, that's true. Right, come here, we'll leave it there, uh, Colin, because the Cavan captain that day, Stephen King, joins us on the line. Uh, Stephen, we're talking about the phantom uh, Raymond Cunningham point. You'd be a brave man if you're going to try and convince me that was a point. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, Drew Cunningham. And believe it or not, at the time, there wasn't that much talk about it. I've seen it a number of times now on the phone and on Twitter and stuff like that. And it looks like, yeah, yeah, it was a, a wee bit on the offside, let's just put it. But it, at that time, it really wasn't discussed that much after the victory, to be honest with you. I believe it was talked on, on the game. Um, uh, obviously, we talked an awful lot more in Derry, but it, it really wasn't, and it wasn't the fact that there was anything hidden about it. You know, it really never really came up in any conversation. The euphoria, euphoria was more uh, to the fore and, and the celebrations rather than talking of the had-beens. Yeah, well, I suppose the big thing, it was only after about 10 minutes. So, like, if it was the winning point, there would have been a lot more made out of it. Derry was 60 more minutes to play, you know. But that's, yeah, yeah, that's a fair point, Colin. Yeah, obviously, if it had been here at the end of the game and a point swinging it here and there, yeah, everybody would be talking about it more so. Yeah, it would definitely would be highlighted to, to a bigger extent. There still was a, nearly a full game to go for anyone to win or lose the game. Yeah, and the funny thing, Raymond Cunningham, was it even from Cavan? No, he actually he lives on the border up there. He's a, he's a, he'd be we would like the soccer as well as in Cavan. I think he worked in in Kingspan, if memory serves me right. Yeah, he did. He did. He's from Mead, obviously. 
That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be a great, would be a great relationship with me and Kevin on the football field. It really wouldn't matter, would it? <laughs> you didn't hold. You didn't hold it. You didn't hold it. Well, I think he played, he played handball a lot with Kevin underage or something. So there was a bit of a connection there, anyways. And then he got the call off Martin McHugh. Yeah, yeah. There, there was, and actually, when you say that, Colin, like uh, uh, handball is huge in Kingscourt. Like they've great alleys there, and we've all Ireland stayed in, in Kingscourt. So a lot of guys that like, played like Joe Dillon and. Uh, which is long before that, Joe Dillon and the Falcons, all those guys, Barry McGarrett, they all played actually handball and Raymond, yeah, Raymond would have been uh, to the forefront playing handball in Kingsford, yeah. Mickey Graham described the pitch invasion at the full-time whistle. He said, I turned around and I think I was hit by a herd of buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, could, yeah, you could even see elephants. I, I never, ever seen anything like it. In all my life, it was just a pure stampede. And I seen one of my fr- friends was on Twitter saying they can never remember our clubman, Junior McKernan, helping. We were from Killishandon, they called us Killishandon Lagers. Never seen Junior stand there just helping Lagers across the wire on the hill end. So everyone was just uh, ploughing into the field. Uh, you know, it's the biggest takeover of a clonus pitch in, in many, many, many years. And I, I wouldn't say that's happened since. Yeah, and even Martin McHugh was interviewed out in the pitch and he was being, uh, like, assaulted, it looked like. And then he was being kissed and then he was being lifted up and he looked like he was in pain at one stage and the interview was, <laughs> the interview had to be cut short. <laughs> well, we actually, got a, we actually got a laugh at that the other day. I hadn't seen the full uh, thing often. And I actually hadn't seen, I'd seen the RT, um, the RT version of the game, uh, you know, the Sunday game, but I hadn't seen the UTV one with with Adrian Logan. I went through the, the whole thing and, I, and it actually showed that clip of Martin. Oh my God, really, I'd say he was being nipped and pulled and tugged and he was cringing his face. He was cringing his face as someone had a heart of his nipple or something, you know, that kind of a nip and take yeah. gesture was going on. But yeah, yeah it, was, uh, it was incredible scenes. And I, I think Barney Cully, our PRO, was doing his best to save him. He was. There was somebody trying to help him out. What's your memories of the actual match? Like, I mean, you were in under pressure with a hamstring injury, like you were down getting treatment. You had that injury in the lead up to the game. Yeah, I had the injury in the lead up to the game, and uh, the doctor at that time was Paddy Rudden, and I hadn't really heard much about the acupuncture and stuff like that at the time, Colin. But he uh, he uh, treated me with acupuncture, and he got me moving again. And you know, I was very very happy and comfortable going into going into the game, and. You know, really, them years, you never really had much hamstrings or grinds or anything like that at the time. But I felt when you got over the 30 year mark, 32, they started to annoy me a little bit. But no, I was in great form, you know, for the Fermanagh match and the Donegal match. But I took a bit of a twinge then with training. And, you know, I was fine. But after about 15 minutes, I, I don't know, I was racing for a ball with Toad or something. And actually, I found, I found a twinge, all right. And, uh, you know, I'd say the rest is history. But we were always confident we had the panel as well. You know, that we were fairly well covered in all sectors. Not like, you know, pre-Martin McHugh's time, you know, there was, you know, there was gaps. But we felt we were confident. And, you know, the under-21s and all that had, had you know, that threatened the panel, the panel to a lot. But my memory of it is just fantastic memories. And I ran right through the semi-final and, Probably the greatest memories of all is the joy that the Cavan supporters got out of that uh, at that time. But Cavan, uh, they're frantic and they're they're probably the top supporters because you know I'm well able to prepare to say that. But even in my early days, I was chatting the other night. We went to play a, a league match, and this is in the early eighties down in in Banch in Tipperary, and. You know, football wasn't really to the forefront like it is now in Tipperary. I'm not saying it, you're taken from it, 
but there must have been at least 5,000 Cavan people down for, for an ordinary league match down in Bancha. So, right. you know, the support was always there. And, and even now I would say, and I'd say you would say the same, column in your playing days uh, with Leash, that the, the, the amount of support for the ordinary league matches would surpass the support that's travelling now. We'd say for those type of league matches, obviously the Donegals and the Dublins have and the Thrones have still got the, the big numbers. But the ordinary 5-8s, we, we had serious numbers. Well, that's it. Like, I mean, I even remember in Mikko's time, there were huge crowds for National League games. I remember against Kildare one year, there must there could have been 10,000 at a National League game. I think, I think a lot of the counties outside the big ones, the supporters have lost faith a bit because there's not too much to play for. Well, that's true. And, and I suppose going back to that time as well, which I thought, and they maybe should have a rethink because the schedules are really jammed in with cigarettes and everything. We played a couple of games in the National League pre-Christmas you yeah. know, you maybe got two slash three out of it and then you went back ahead in, in, in the following, you know, February or whatever and you played the remainder of it. You know, if they could, you know, have a look ahead. But there's so much football going on now with the colleges and, you know, underage and under-21s and minors and all that. I, I think it was a good system at that time and you probably nailed it, you know, uh, that more to go to. And and there be matches like what you were saying with Leash and, and their neighbours and Cavan and their neighbours. I think in, the, in a playoff with Tyrone, I think it was over 10,000 in a division two or three playoff in my time we're after we're in relegation but then we beat Tyrone in Dungannon where they'd never been beaten before and they probably brought us there on, on, on you know probably they, you know they keep the winning record in Dungannon but we beat them anyway and the replay or sorry the relegation playoff then was in Clonus and someone was saying there was over 12,000 plus at a, a, an ordinary relegation match Right, right. Well, you were on the rise back in 97 anyways, um, Stephen, because, like, I mean, you were in the Ulster final in 95. Then, obviously, the, the, the under-21s got to an all-earned final in 96. And you got a fair old whack out of those teams, like Peter Riley, Mickey Graham, Dermot McCabe, Anthony Ford, Larry Riley, who was a complete live wire. Like, I mean, there was a real feeling, even though you were underdogs against Derry in the final, that you had a chance of winning this one. Ah, yeah, you know, certainly, and I alluded to that earlier, uh, Colm, yeah, the, you know, the under-21s, that panel of uh, the people you mentioned there, Larry and Peter and Jason, all those guys, um, you know, they enhanced the senior panel, without doubt, and, and I suppose, to be fair, you know, Ronan Carlin and Damien and probably myself and Bernard Morris and Fintan Cahill, we were kind of experienced players, and they definitely added to the pot. And yes, there was always going to be something happening. Uh, we were actually going quite well as well for those number of years that the, that the under 21s was doing well. So yeah, there was, there was something there. No one had to really give you a chance. Uh, and it's only recently I, I was reading that you know uh, the betting even was four to seven on Derry and five to two. Cavan, uh, the pundits, uh, you know, I think it was Eamon Coleman, God rest him, you know, obviously it was siding with Derry even and him living in Cavan, but he couldn't see a Cavan victory. Tommy Carr, reckon Derry, no problem. Colin O'Rourke, the same. And, and I wouldn't blame him. I think Larry Tompkins was the only pundit, you know, I, I think he was saying he would not be surprised for a Cavan victory. But right. we ourselves, and I'm sure in your playing days, the same, and I would say the same even when I was playing club football, sometimes the hardest thing is actually to get to the final. And people say it's all in the day, and it is a cliche that it's all in the day. But if you get to a final, it's amazing what can and does happen. 
So we were very, very, you know, comfortable going into the final. Uh, we knew we had every chance. We obviously had homework done on, on, on various players like Tatohol and Brody, and I'm sure they had homework done on a few of our individuals as well. So we still felt that we had a really, really 50-50 chance, but a good chance. And I said earlier, our, our panel was strong, stronger than it had been in years. And that was to, to you know, enhance by the joining up off the under-21s and the way they had come through. And they had won an Ulster title at mm. under-21 level. They had got to an All-Ireland final. So, you know, these boys knew what it was like to be winning as well. So I, I think, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Those bunch definitely helped what was already there. Another, I was reading Ronan Carolyn was recalled in 97. Where had he gone? Well, so as I call him. <laughs> I, that, one, that one had bypassed me. He must have been either injured or dropped for the Fermanagh match. And, and I was just, as we were chatting about it, as I said, the local angler said had dug this out of the archives. And in fairness to Paul Fitzpatrick, he, he made a wonderful job of, of writing up on the game. But I've seen that as well where he was recalled. But if and what he was recalled, Ronan's a fantastic player, he's freeze alone and that kind of stuff. It'll be a savage, savage game. He scored, I think, 1-7 in the semi-final against Donegal. Yeah. But he was married, he was married to... Uh, a lovely Donegal woman, Deirdre. So I'd say McHugh was saying here, if he ever gets a bit of an edge here, this would be the one. <laughs> Martin McHugh made a huge impact on you. Like, I mean, he was a very tactical manager for 1997, you know, when like he was he put Damien O'Reilly up into the forwards and he dropped out into midfield and obviously changed your style of play to a more Donegal style. He did, yeah. Tell you, to be fair to me, he was taken match by match, you know, and... and um, I suppose the scary thing about the whole thing was that really um, Fermanagh could have, could have dumped us in the first round yeah. um, and as you know when you were playing times as well there was no back door that time you were gone and that was always the good thing about a championship too I'm not saying the fact that you were gone but it, it put that extra bit of bite to it um, I think it was Anthony Ford got the equalising point and we got a, a second chance at it, uh, and, and you know, we were deserving winners in the, in the replay but I'd say Fermanagh to be fair were probably kicking themselves at a huge opportunity of, of dumping us out of it and we would have been favourites uh, by a good margin going into that Fermanagh match and then up came Donegal big big game like, there's a huge huge tradition and uh, you know lovability for the want of a better word with supporters and Kevin and Donegal the always seemed to get on well but it was still a match we wanted to win we knew to be in their thousands from both counties and the fact that uh, we Martin was from Donegal uh, and something like Ronan married to a girl from Donegal and all that stuff you know it would all come into it but it, it, there was I'd say there was a certain amount of pressure on Martin even though he never said it or showed it to get to get this victory and uh, maybe he was hurting a little bit too because I think uh, pre that he had went for the Donegal management job yeah. and and he didn't get it and looked him over so yeah he, he had a bit to prove as well and, and so he did you know and tactically as you said there earlier yeah he did he did probably pull a rabbit or two out of the hat yeah and like, are you surprised he never managed uh, at inter-county level after ye I probably was surprised a bit, Callum, uh, you know, that he he didn't continue for another while or, you know, take a year out and maybe take someone else on then. But to be honest with you, it is an unbelievable job to take on 
uh, county manager. I don't know how people get the time for it. Uh, you probably see now, you know, an awful lot of the players' careers have changed, you know, where the, you know, when, I'm not saying went for the easy job, but they went for teachers. And I remember reading about Sean Cavan and he probably nailed it that people that wanted to play football really changed their careers that they would have more time off, maybe finish at three or four in the day or maybe be self-employed or something like that. So that dictates a, a lot of people changing their career somewhat. I, I know there is an awful amount of teachers out there at the moment that hadn't planned to be a teacher, but they did went that route, you know, to be able to, you know, to perform and give what it takes now to be a county footballer. And just back to your question, I, I think Martin, uh, he gave so much over them couple of years to Cavan. I, I think he just said to himself he wouldn't be able to do it and, and work. You know, he wasn't a teacher or anything like that and, and to work away. So, yeah, and I think it's overcooked at the minute. I know I'm moving on to my, I think it's, there's far too much training done at the minute, particularly collective training, I should say. Yeah, yeah, they're probably... One thing uh, I was reading that, that McHugh did was he cut out the full Irish breakfast before before matches, which didn't go down too well with some of the lads on on the on the squad. <laughs> well, no, the, 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 the diets have changed a wee bit, I have to say, Colin. Uh, you know, we heard of this thing called spaghetti with the Lord Jays. I don't know where it came out of some of them. But, uh, yeah, we we had changed. And, uh, you know, the, the, the diet came into a wee bit. And, Jesus, we're going back to 97. Yeah, the breakfast probably was, you know, was brown bread and, uh, and a bit of porridge and maybe a banana. Or, you know, if you were having something... Uh, a home game it'd be meeting later uh, and it would be something like in the uh, just a small bit of spaghetti bolognese line or something like that you know but in fairness uh, uh, go back even long before that when we were playing Railway Cup at Ulster Brian McIniff always and never had this thing about a sherry trifle was the last thing you know you'd have something to eat and a sherry trifle because he felt the sugar in the sherry trifle would give you energy and like he was very successful at Railway Cup level as well, let me add. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I bought into it, certainly. I bought into it. I had no issue with it at all. Um, I hadn't really been a, a spaghetti man or, or a fan of it or anything. But yeah, and, uh, to this day, I'm still eating it. <laughs> now we up to 2003 2004 we were still eating fries uh, with the team up in up in the Red Cow Hotel before Leinster Finals or any big match. It was mad, mad stuff altogether. Yeah, it's kind of mad stuff, certainly. But, you know, um, I honestly don't think, uh, well, obviously the quantity and the size, but, uh, you know, if you're eating something at, at 12 o'clock in the day and your game was at 3.30 in the afternoon, I don't think, well, within reason, like uh, I should say, I don't think it was a major, major factor, no, to be honest no, with you. No, it wouldn't, no. And the Trio Shea no. brothers always ate a fry, so they didn't do too bad, did they? Oh, wasn't it fantastic? Oh, Jesus, you'd have to admire them. But, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, they didn't do too bad, is right. That's putting them mildly. Kamir, you said in your speech the Anglo-Celt Cup is coming home. Did you do much work on your speech or would you have been too, didn't want to tempt fate? I would, look, I would write nothing out. I would have done a little bit, obviously, if the opportunity did come up. Uh, the fact that the Anglo-Celt is based in Cavan, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a real, you know, brain record to think of something like that you know, coming home to Cavan where the Anglo Celt is. Um, yeah, and at that time, I did remember saying, as a, you know, and it only hit me that day, uh, you know, when the final whistle went in, but even though it was, you know, peace in the country had been, you know, would be remembered for winning the Ulster title the same day peace was announced in the North and so all that, you know, country was announced. Those little things just came to me. 
but you're always conscious of leaving somebody out. You know what I mean? Leaving someone of the backroom team out. You know, yeah. even you be trying to think of that walking up the steps because I genuinely had nothing wrote out and uh, I didn't want to tempt fate or anything like that. Yeah, but, you know, uh, anger self coming home. And I suppose the only thing I had thought about was not really fluent in Gaelic or Irish was, you know, Uchtron and if the president, also council is obviously going to be there, but if the president of the GA was going to be there, just that I didn't miss them in that right, the yeah. speech. But yeah. just get that bit right. But after that, no, whatever happened, happened. And, you know, you got them few words out and you obviously were very, very nervous. But the crowd took over after that, really. Well, that's it. You're still on a bit of a hype. Because, like, I mean, you you were on the go. You made your debut in 1980. This is 1997. That's right. That's what I was saying. It was, uh, it was uh, as we were saying earlier, remember the league used to be played in two stages? Yeah. Before and after Christmas. I think, uh, from memory at that time, obviously, Celtic people, uh, it was the 79-80 league, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So we we'll say, we'll, yeah, yeah. So we'll say, we we'll say, we we'll say, we we'll say, eighty. We we'll say nineteen eighty. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. And um, you know, we played a lot then, and and probably a disappointment then. I remember coming up to nineteen eighty three. We got to the Ulster final and playing in every game, and then I lost my place in that Ulster championship because uh, Gabriel Kelly, who's a gentleman I hasten to add, uh, he started bringing back old or seasoned players like Adge King and. Ollie Brady and guys like that and rightly so uh, rightly so I hasten that but I lost my place then in 83 and I was only brought on as a sub in all the games then uh, but I'd been playing right up until that and then when the Ulster Championship was over you were back playing in the league this that and the other and as the years and years went on you'd be saying ah that's it never again you know but <laughs> at that time the Ulster Championship they, a fella got a great laugh this years ago uh, which we actually did come Easter Monday uh, a number of us or most of us always went off to drink on Easter Monday that was it no no drink until we were knocked out of the championship and as you know it was not good that time but some smart artists you just weren't off it too long <laughs> if you were off in, in, at Easter you're probably playing a preliminary round in May and maybe beating that day so every right probably is throw down at us you know right. um, but uh, yeah yeah, we did that and and you know then you were knocked out. we were beating the first round on, on, on quite a few occasions we're not bothered with this anymore but you know you had the break you went back to your club next thing was the October we'll say the National League is starting again that defeat in, in May was long gone in your head. You were ready to go at it again. You had no you had no bother going back now. But it's it's a consistent audio around thing now, Colin, would you agree there that you know they're they're never getting a break? Because, you know, even if they're knocked out in the first round, they're going to qualify and they may get an easy qualifier to get two or three games out of it. Yeah. Then there's a little bit of a break and, you know, they're back at college, they're back at under twenty ones or clubs are at it, so it's it's constant, you know. Yeah, no, it is. Like, I mean, not too many people remember um, how close you were against Kerry in the semi-final because Larry Riley, um, he had a chance of a goal. He hit the crossbar and that would have put you a point up. And then Kerry went down and they got a goal and then it was five in it. You know, like, I mean, you were right in that game right up until late. I was reading Ronan Carroll and in particular was saying that was one huge regret that you didn't take advantage of he what he said was a, a very vulnerable carry team. 
Oh, absolutely. You said it perfectly. And I've obviously spoken to Ronan and Damien and, and Fintan and, and even Jason to a lesser extent. You know, over the years since then, and uh, I have always said it's the one that got away. Uh, I'm not saying, I'm not taking away from Kerry uh, by any standards. Um, you know, we played reasonably well in the first half. You know, they went ahead, we came back into the game at a great time. Fintan Cahill got a goal just coming up to half time. We were going into that dressing room really, really good. You know, I felt we needed to make a change or two. I thought Fitzgerald and Kinead was a kind of a, a wee bit on top. But otherwise, we were, we were, we were really dealing with it very, very well. Uh, and as you said there earlier with Larry nearly getting there, it's, it's a game that definitely we should have done better. Uh, it's a game that possibly we might have won but not taken away from Kerry they just pulled away in the last 10 minutes and I forget even what they won by so we take them in but it was an opportunity that we'd never get again um, and you know they probably held their own in the final anyway but it's about getting to the finals as I said earlier Colm isn't it? Yeah yeah. no it is and you retired then that was your last game was it? You had a, you were 35 the following year and you you tore muscles Yeah I went stomach. back I went yeah I went back uh, for the initial stage of the National League and I pulled a muscle in my, sp- in my stomach, just go down in my stomach and uh, operational and all that kind of stuff was, you know, the next man, you know, at 35, 36 next birthday. No, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it didn't look feasible for me to be doing something like that at the time, you know. Yeah, well, look, it wasn't, a, it wasn't the worst last year that you had anyway. So there's no, you, you can't complain. No, I can't complain, no, but I would always say to people, you know, we might not have many medals in Cavan uh, in, my, in my time, um, but I still, I'm not saying, yeah, I probably would say I wouldn't change it because the friendship uh, that I've made and through playing with Cavan and playing county football right through underage, right up, and I'm, I'm sure you and anyone that played county football and played with their club, I think you'd have to say the GA is a tremendous organisation. Uh, the way it can uh, get you involved, and and you know, it's a really good life being a county county footballer in the in the in the essence of making friends and getting out there. And uh, you know, let's say other people play golf, we played football, and we enjoyed it, and that was that was our leisure. We definitely did, Stephen. Thanks very much for taking the call. Thanks yourself, Colin. Appreciate it. When your legs don't work like they used to before. I was actually coming home on Saturday morning and I had the podcast on for Newbridge Southern 8 and that, that helps the journey to be honest if, I'm, if I've run out of Ed Sheeran songs depends on mood I'm in Ed's good for uh, if you're in a soppy mood Ed's good to sing along to you and then if you're in a GA head mood which I'm probably most of the week then I turn these boys on Darling I will be loving you Cavan won 14, Derry 16 points was the final score. And I suppose the start off was um, some of the changes uh, Martin McHugh made before the game. The big one was putting Damien O'Reilly up into the forwards and bringing him out as a third midfielder. He was usually a defender. And dropping Mickey Graham, who had been on, on the team, he was only off doing the 21. So, like, that was a big call. And do you know what? When I was looking at that and reading about it, Conan, Mickey Graham did the exact same thing against Donegal. Was it two years ago in the finals? Remember, he played a defender uh, corner forward <laughs> and brought him out. It's like he did 
he did to the player, the Cavan corner forward, what was done to him, did he? <laughs> Back in 1997. Yeah, no sympathy for the corner forward now, and in 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 when he's the manager. But um, that was like that was a particularly uh, annoying one because Derry actually had the the resource to to deal with that even better, like to, to do what Kevin were doing because he had Johnny McBride in, yeah, yeah. in the defence. He was obviously you mentioned under twenty one. He's midfielder. He played a lot in midfield and half forward with Derry and. For some reason, they left him in full back along with Laurie Riley, getting absolutely roasted until they eventually moved Kieran McKeever back. But, you know, they could have just pushed Johnny McBride over to Damien O'Reilly. They eventually did do that. But then I think the Cavan goal came because O'Reilly went back inside and McBride was following him back inside. And again, he's a full back and he's at sea. And, the like, you know, just, just bad marking the balls over the top and O'Reilly sets it up. So I think that was a big mistake for Brian Mullins. And I don't know if Martin McHugh could foresee that, but it worked very well for them. Yeah, it was. It was a strange one seeing Johnny McBride put in on Larry Riley doing a cornerback man-marking job on a live wire corner yeah. forward like him you know like I mean then again that Gary Coleman probably would have been just as bad as a as a, a marker both Johnny McBride and Coleman like Sean Marty Lockhart's on the other wing back like what's wrong it's not, like, unbelievable. It's not like he didn't turn out to be a good man marking corner back <laughs> and he was the full back for under 21s you know it was it was right. like he had Kieran McKeever who sort of followed Damien O'Reilly originally and then he was sort of drifting around and you know, he could have went back in earlier and he had Sean Murray, as you say, playing halfback. Like, you know, I'm Sean Murray's biggest fan, but like, he's not a halfback. Like, he's a, he's a man marker. And yeah. Johnny Bright is a quality footballer. So, like, it's just, you had two people completely unused who could have been your better players if you had to use them properly. Well, that was the thing. And obviously, Kevin's tactics was a two man full forward line and getting ball. And again, in Martin McHugh's kind of image and Donegal's image, they played that hand passing up to midfield and then looking to give it in. Again, a very modern style of play that when you think back of 1997, you think Cavan held on to the ball an awful lot. When you look at it through the last 10 years, we've watched it, you would say, geez, they played a lovely controlled brand of football. There was no lumped, no lump balls whatsoever. Oh, that's a good point. And they were all pinged in front. Like, you know, Larry Riley looked like a godsend, like, you know, because balls were just being pumped in front of him in the space there was no sweeper obviously from Derry point of view and Kevin got to a certain point and just picked a nice pass in and I think the difference when I'm talking about Derry playing badly is that they were trying to lump it from further back down the pitch and a couple of times from half back they were trying to hit Joe Brawley and Joe Cassian it's just not, it's not nice balls for a full forward to try and receive whereas Kevin's were all just sort of thinking about the forward and where he could receive it yeah no that was that was definitely it so Martin McHugh looked like he had his homework done it was a surprise that Dermot McCabe uh, was put on Tohal, uh, considering how young he was. Like, I mean, he won the throw-in. He dispossessed a ball, I think it was Sean Marty Lockhart, with a terrible hand pass and kicked a monster of a score. It was interesting then for the Cavan kickouts, Dermot McCabe would just sprint off to the sideline, bringing Tohal with him while the kickout would go to Stephen King. And then the Derry kickouts were all being go- were all going towards Tohal, but Dermot McCabe was just trying to break everything. So you had that this kind of dynamic where... At all costs, we keep our kickouts away from Tohal McKay. Bring him wherever you wherever you can, but we're not hitting him. Yeah, and it's sort of sometimes it's frustrating when you have someone as dominant as Tohal who's sprinting out to the wing yeah. after someone who's obviously not getting the ball, and you'd like to have seen him just hang around in the middle and sort of risk it a few times, but um, he probably just didn't want his man to be winning handy ball. Yeah, but, but see, that's the thing. Like, I mean, the problem with it, because McCabe's no slouch in the air anyways. McCabe's excellent in the air. It would have gone to McCabe had he not tracked him. So, like, I mean, you know, I wouldn't blame Tohal in that, situ- in that situation because now maybe he could have tried it maybe once to see, you know, would O'Dowd 
have the bottle to go to him, kind of maybe to the wing. I, I, I definitely think he should. That could, he probably shouldn't have followed him every time, but it would have gone to McCabe had Toll made a made a habit of not bothering to, to track him. Yeah, and I think I think like once once Derry had McBride out there, and they they had obviously Dermot Heaney in the middle, so like you know, they could have just been a bit smarter about it, like and let let McBride track those runs, or but like cause Stephen King, like you know, was carrying an injury, like you know, so he didn't need all those boys there, and letting Toho run off to the wing, like he needed him where he was in the last fifteen minutes, basically, like you know, it was a bit sobering for most of the game, seeing McKay play so well. Toho was still being Toho, like you know, but when someone's breaking even with Toho, they're doing bloody well, and then. You know, Toho came into the last 15 minutes. But before that, I think Cavan had sort of really limited him in a way that I hadn't seen much throughout his career. Yeah. Stephen King was it was interesting because he was down um, getting the hamstring uh, seen after 80 minutes and he was clearly carrying it a little bit. And he ended up, Johnny McBride ended up marking him. And I, unless Johnny McBride's confidence had been, you know, hit badly by the bit of a scorch and he took off Larry Murph or Larry O'Reilly, like, I mean, I can't understand how he didn't just attack at all opportunities and really, you know, put it up to Stephen King, who wasn't 100%. It seemed like he was just happy. I know Stephen King would have carried a reputation back then, and maybe that's why he didn't want to. But he probably would have got a bit of joy with his young legs running around with a fella, you know, 35, carrying an injury. Yeah, and the confidence is probably the big the big thing. Like, you know, his first year in the panel, not playing well in an Ulster final. Like, you know, he saw his score in the second half where he just he's cuts inside and swings it over off the left and it was so natural and you're sort of thinking, why haven't you been doing that the whole half? But I think it probably a lot of it was in his head at that time. Like, you know, just didn't start well on Cavan's captain, you know, being moved around the pitch and just maybe not as... Not as dominant as he probably could be in the match. Yeah, Fintan Cahill, their full forward, eventually was taken off for Jason Riley, and he would have been one of their better players. Jizzy, no left foot whatsoever because he had a chance um, in the first half. Did you see what he tried to do? He tried to contort his body to go off the outside of his right. Doesn't that look really bad for an intercounty player, you know, to do that? Because that was a half a goal chance. I think he should have shot in his right with it. If you have no left, then why turn back in on your left? Well, the interesting thing is, remember uh, James McCarthy that it was this year? I might have been the start of this McCarthy year. And he, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it looked great because he put it over. It still looked a bit stupid, but it was like... It looked it stupid. Nice, yeah. <laughs> it was a nice bit of skill, like, you know, control it off the right like that. But I think Cahill, or Cahill's was a... Like, it, was, it was more silly because he was on the right-hand side. Like, McCarthy at least was on the left-hand side with all the angle he come across the ball. But, um, yeah, that was that was ridiculous. Like, he was always in line with the post and he's trying to put it over off the outside and, yeah, hit the post. It looks stupid. I feel sorry for the Derry full forward line. Like, I mean, because I was watching Brawley fairly closely. He didn't touch the ball until 20 minutes when he got one and he hand-passed it uh, straight to a cabin man or it got intercepted by a cabin man. And he was under a lot of pressure then. He got a free and he missed it on his own side. And it wasn't until Kieran McKeever came out and well he was out following around anyways he he gave him two balls he was actually looking up for him um uh Kieran McKeever um and gave him a couple of balls he got a point just before half time but Cavan's decision to put uh Jerry Sheridan back on him looked like a good one now when Brolly got the ball he did look dangerous it was just Derry gave there yeah, Joe Cassidy got a, a ball um a point in the very first minute and never felt the weight of the ball until the second half until he should have given one into Henry Downey and, and and made a balls of it. He did well to stay on the field, but they got no regular supply compared, you know, to the kind of more structured play Cavan had. 
Yeah, and that's that was a frustrating thing. Like you mentioned Joe Cassidy's point, like that that was brilliant. He was under so much pressure. He had boys coming in from all angles. He kept his composure, put it over. Uh Brawley, when he got like one of the first times he actually got turned around to attack, he, he just glided by Sheridan and caught yeah. inside and put it over and then he won a free off him and like you know, they didn't get the ball much and when they had it they they showed how good they were, but like there was just too many instances where Derry were kicking the ball from too far back with men standing in front of them and maybe maybe the McKeever thing is just that the club connection like you know just I'm looking up for for Joe because I know what Joe can do everyone should have known what he can do anyway at that stage but um yeah I, I don't know it was um it was very frustrating and I think a lot a big part of it was probably the the half forward line as well McCusker and McGill and, and Dugan a lot of it as well just pulling out too deep and just leaving too much space and it was easy for Calvin just to sort of clog it up Is that Fergal McCusker to play corner back in 93? That's Fergal McCusker, yeah, Fergal P. So he 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 played wing forward that day. So that was a very yeah. defensive. Was that a defensive one, or did he play? Was it, he was just a, a an all rounder? I don't know much just about a, him. Just an all rounder, like just a, a good footballer, like. But uh, he didn't. He definitely didn't um, have much of an impact that day against Calvin. Like you know, just I, I thought him and McGill just you know, especially when you have and the, the Gorman like on the bench, you're just sort of crying out for a a change or you know a bit why, more. Why was he on the bench? I have that down in my notes because the camera pans straight to him. I says that's Ender Gormley, and I went on his Wikipedia. He was only thirty one, the same age as as Henry Downey at that that year. Why why would he not have been able to get on that team? I don't know. Like, I'm not, it might have been carrying injury. I'm not sure. Like, you know, Carl Diamond's another quality player as well. Like, Gary Doyle from Lavi came on. He's a he's a good footballer, but I don't know. Like, um, I would I definitely would have had Indigo unless he was carrying injury. I'm not sure what was happening back then. Yeah, the two Heenies weren't at the races at all, were they? In in the game. No, I think I think I think Dermot Heaney's a much better player when he's playing in half forward line. I think you actually saw it towards the end of that game where he starts bulldozing through people. He's got a bit of skill. He's got real power. Um, and I'm not sure like you want him tracking after men all over the pitch like, so it's just better having him as a luxury player at half forward and like I think he was a bit wasted in midfield oh he was in midfield Heaney I mean I actually meant the two Downey brothers rather Seamus and Henry Downey they weren't they were they're two big players obviously for Derry and they, neither of them played I know Seamus made a bit of a difference when he came out to midfield but he looked bet actually he looked very kind of off off the pace and like I mean Henry got an awful roast off off Carolyn right throughout the game yeah, like that was that was disappointing from Henry. Like I think just that says like Seamus, <laughs> it wasn't just it wasn't just the Seamus down here from nineteen ninety three, and he spent a lot of the time out around the middle. It was only like in later in the second half where he started having a bit more of an impact. But I think that was a change that probably could have been made as well. But then Derry only made two subs off the bench, so maybe Mullins just didn't fancy what he had. Right. Okay. It was the start Cavan made to the second half that probably won the game for them. Like I mean, they got a three point. And Cush and Carolyn with a a, be- a couple of beautiful scores um, in that. And like when they when they went that three points up, then Derek took over completely, and they looked like they were a better team. They Brolly started getting a little bit more ball, was getting fouled. You know, they, they they started chipping away, and they ended up going a point up. Yeah, like um, it's, it's funny, like because Kevin at the start of that second half, yeah, they came out like a house on fire. Derry, I don't know, they weren't playing well. Like again, we're talking about this. I don't, I don't think Derry ever had a pattern of play, or like there no. was no real period. Like they, they did chip away at them there, but they didn't seem like they were controlling the match. If you know what I mean? I think Kevin once he got three up, sort of started shitting himself a little bit and just let Derry clip over a few scores, and suddenly they were a point up. For, like I was actually really surprised they were a point up. But I thought there was still a point in it for Kevin at that stage because again, it just didn't seem like. The, 
Sorry to cut you off there. Isn't that a little bit annoying on the GA now that they don't have a clock or a timer on the on the like that's why would they not? It's very annoying. And like the timer is actually probably the like you know, that that's the most annoying because like the score obviously would help if that was on. But the timer, like I'm going down to look at the YouTube to see how much time has gone on that, but yeah. I'm trying to guess how much like, you know, how much fast we had at the start of the game with the national anthem and stuff. Yeah, and it does it actually does affect your recollection of the game a little bit. I take a lot of notes now because I'm like, Jesus, usually I'm it I think the clock and the score are able to give you kind of, you know, mental notes of when things happened in the game, you know, in chronological order. Like when it's all it seems to be a jumble when you don't have that in the card. I think we're just so used to it. Yeah, no, but like you know, and even even like the team sheets as well coming up at the start, like that would definitely help too. Yeah, yeah. actually, was it the down game? They brought up one team. I think they brought up the Mies team, and that was it. They didn't bring up the down team. You know, little things like that are just it would, you know, it would just really help the experience. Yeah, no, it definitely would. So the huge uh, score in this game was obviously the goal, and like I mean, until I watched this back, I ha- in my head, in my memory which obviously was inaccurate. I thought this was like a, a two or three minutes to go kind of goal where Derry didn't have a chance. There was 10 minutes of normal time and three minutes of injury time left. You know, like, I mean, this was not game over for Derry in any way. Like, it was a brilliant finish by Jason Riley. It was a brilliant uh, ball in by Peter Riley. A brilliant catch by Damien Riley. Like, Johnny McBride, like you said, got sucked in under the bounce and, you know, wouldn't have been all that comfortable kind of in there. But again, loads of time left for Derry. But, you know, they just couldn't snap out of this kind of, you know, like you said, even though they got on top and were dominating, they weren't kicking great football. No, they they weren't. Like, and again, like you said, you didn't know who to put in for performance of the week. There was nobody where you were thinking, oh, get him the ball. Toho became Toho the last 10 minutes and he started, like, you know, those big long strides and getting them up the pitch. But, you know, there was just no instance where it was too whole finding Brody or something like that. Like, you know, where the, the boys were, were going to click if there you could get in the ball. I don't know. It was um it was strange. Like again, and like the, the clock probably didn't help with that goal as well. And then Murray for like ten minutes and blow it up. They're that they're asking for the game to be blown up. And it's like, well, hang on, like there's still loads to go here. Um, I don't know. Derry just sort of seemed to be a bit sucker points by that as well. And I think there was almost a a resignation where we haven't been good here today. And yeah, I don't know. It was it was like, it was very disappointing. You text me to say sorry that we were going to watch this game, and it was actually more disappointing than I can remember at the time. Right. Like I mean, it was a weird game in that. It didn't seem like Ulster Championship in that the marking wasn't all that tight sometimes. And, you know, it didn't see. Now, Marty didn't help on the commentary and whatever about the sound probably didn't get enough of the crowd response. It just had a we didn't have like a kind of a, a mad championship feel about it or something. Yeah, Marty wasn't that excitable. Like, was he? Like, you know, again, maybe he was distracted. Maybe he was just looking at the scores coming in. But he definitely didn't seem to hit the right pitch for the game that he was watching. Like no. it was a good end match. The, the forwards could have been on top. There was space. But like even it, that goal is an example. Like McCusker should have just, like, you know, should have put the ball dead. Like here we are in ninety seven talking about stuff we talk about today. But like, you know, you have to be kicking that dead. He should he should have been putting it over, he dropped it straight into the keeper's hands, about ten yards out from the keeper's line, and then Calvin went straight up the pitch and a big long ball and scored a goal from it. Like so yeah, that was disappointing and like yeah, again you're right, Marty probably didn't help. So you think Carolyn's block on Tohill and then he fell on the ground, you think that was enough to to trip up Seamus Heaney, even though he didn't intentionally try to trip him, he still tripped him? Yeah, like, 
I saw I saw Pat McEnany put put the whistle to his lips, like you know, as if to say that's definitely a foul. But then I don't know was he factoring in the fact that it was a great block and he was on the ground. You know, it, just because he puts the whistle to his lips doesn't mean that he's decided it's free. He's just getting ready. But uh, to to me, I thought it was enough because he, like uh, Seamus Downey comes in and collects the sort of loose ball and. Yeah, like he he gets tripped as he's he's trying to get away. Otherwise, I think he's going to go and swing it over. Do you know he's got the space and he's just sort of clipped down. Like I don't think it's deliberate or anything, but I think maybe I'm being biased, but I think he he, he murdered a free there. I don't know why I keep calling Seamus Downey uh, Seamus Heaney. Like I mean, I keep I keep just have that in my head. But it's all the Leo Veratka references. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was Ronan Carlin had his arms out, and then a very underrated block was Peter Riley came across from that incident and it was the Derry number 17. Was that uh, Diamond or was it Doyle? Um, went for another score and Peter Riley just got his fingertips to that to save that because that would have been a point. I think that was Doyle. Yeah, I think that was Doyle. Um, yeah, like uh, actually that is one thing that you can really notice, can't you? Like, like even from the forwards, there's a lot of diving blocking going on, like and a lot of pressure being put on the ball. And, you know, that that's probably the biggest difference you can see in the space of two decades is that these people are dropping off now and maybe the one on one defending. Like, you know, look at Kieran McKeever's tackling. Like, you know, and I know it's an obvious one to pick out, but like he steps in, you know, as soon as you know somebody's gonna take a solo or a bounce. Like, you know, when other people are dropping off, he steps up and, and takes the ball off you and you just don't see that anymore. Yeah. One thing I noticed as well in this game, it was back in nineteen ninety seven when referees were being tricked by the old holding the arm and going down and getting the free that way. Did you see a few <laughs> of them giving out to to uh Pat McEnany, who was a good ref? But it took referees a long time to actually figure out what was going on there and then actually started overdoing it, overguessing it, that sometimes you would be getting fouled and they wouldn't give it to you. Yeah, but isn't it interesting that you can even see the evolution of refereeing? Because like, there's a few things where you think, ah, oh, Jesus, like Pat should be on top of that. But maybe like, he, it's, it's of the era, you know, and like, you know, late tackles coming in as well, whereas he's letting the game flow the way it probably would be done. There's a lot of stuff. But actually, do you know what? Here's, here's a good point, though. Like the, the time it took for freeze was really annoying. Like, it was taking 40, 50 seconds every time, and that was just seemingly normal at that stage. Yeah. Toe had a very unique free-taking technique. He almost bounced like a, a rabbit twice, or like a, like a <laughs> you know, just, he did two kind of, you know, what other way could you describe them other than bounces? And then it was just two steps left before, yeah. two steps more to go after the two bounces. He barely walked up to it. Two big giant steps left, in fairness, but he, um, yeah, it's almost like his body's bouncing through his frame or something like that. Like, you know, where he's not bouncing up and down, but his, his, his structure is going up and down, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. It's a definitely weird one. So Derry did have a goal chance, which would have won them the game. It was a great run by Kira McKeever, and McGill ended up having a shot, and Paula Dowd made a, made a very good save. But, like, I mean, over the course of, and balance of the game, you would say Cavan were the better team. Oh, I, th- I think I think they were like um, I, I think Derry obviously Kevin. I, I was thinking you'd be tearing your hair out. Uh, Ronan Carroll and went through f- for a goal chance as well, and he fisted it over. Kieran McKeever fisted one over, but when it's Kieran McKeever and he's got his back to goal, I think that's Aye, fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't I think Cassidy. Go on. Sorry, go on. I don't think Marty was too happy about that. Thought there was a goal on there. Was that the Kieran <laughs> McKeever one? No, I think that was the Carolyn one he was giving yeah, out of voice. Like, oh, that was Carolyn, is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't like that Carolyn went <laughs> pissed it over, yeah. Maybe that's why he thought he had a stinker. <laughs> but I, I think um, Joe Cassidy could have worked a goal. He was two on one and he just had to shift the ball right and it would have come back. And 
Instead, he tried to fist it over and he hit the post or something like that. And um, and there was another time as well where Cassidy was in, I thought, and Heaney just didn't pass the ball over the top to him and he went out left and McGill put it over. But that's me with me with my dairy glasses on. But like Kevin, I think they definitely merited it. I think they, they got it right on the sideline. Like the management wise, they they had it spot on. Whereas I think Mullins made a few mistakes as we we've talked about. And then I just think that Kevin's big players had big games against Derry's big ones and when you have when you have you saying that Henry Downey was lucky to stay on like that's that's massive like you know it shows that Kevin really hammered that hammer I think Tohal was limited in a way that I hadn't seen in a long time and and I, I thought even Kieran McKeever to the point about Kieran McKeever and Larry Riley is that like this is McKeever like I've never seen him on the back foot and you know, he, I think he did get the grips of him in a way that McBride obviously didn't, but straight away Riley scored a point off him and then won a free that should have been clipped over as well. And it was just surprising to see such a shoot cornerback who you never see under pressure struggling like that. Yeah, Joe Bradley said before the game, he said, at the present time, I think Cavan are better than Tyrone. They're very fit and are not choking the same way they did two or three years ago in big matches. So, like, I mean, that's typical Joe Brawley being very honest before the game. But there was no choking here. Like, I mean, they went into a, an Ulster final as massive underdogs against a team that were All-Ireland favourites and, you know, won the game, were the better team. And in the end, you know, saw the game out, you know, in a fairly professional manner. Yeah, and like you know, and and defense, like they all stood up to the plate as well. They, like they mostly, I don't think Derry's full forward line were helped, but the defenders were on top as well. You know, like uh, throughout. So even when they were under that bit of pressure, and when they might have retreated after the goal, which <laughs> was longer than what we thought towards the end, they all were able to man up. And like you have Carolyn back, you know, diving block, you have Peter Riley chipping in. Like I just think. I think Cavan, all their players for 70 minutes were more dominant and then when they really wanted us, they, they, they went and took it. Yeah, Peter Riley, interestingly enough, was centre half back under under-21 team to got to the All-Ireland final against Kerry. So he was playing wing forward. So there was a bit of work rate, you know what I mean, kind of in them anyways. Uh, they took off Fintan Cahill, obviously, and uh, Stephen King, who were their two big kind of more experienced players and uh, they had more of a squad like Stephen King was saying you know when you have a decent team and then all these under 21s come in you've got loads of you've got loads of options but uh, like they won that game then Cavan and they went to play Kerry in the semi-final like I was talking to Stephen about most of the Cavan players have huge regrets about that game you know because Larry Riley hit the underside of the crossbar with six minutes to go. I didn't realise there was only six minutes to go in that. And that would have put Cavan a point up. They were two down at that stage. And from that rebound off the post, Kerry went down and scored a goal at the other end to put five in it. Game over. Six minutes left. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot more in that game. And Ronan Carolyn said afterwards, he said, what we learned afterwards was that particular Kerry team was hugely vulnerable. They had an enormous amount of pressure on them. And we realised too late that they were there for the taking. And I suppose, like, I mean, a famine in Kerry is from whenever they had won it. When when was the last time they won it? 86, maybe, was it? Up until 97. Um, yeah. That was Kerry's famine. So there was massive pressure on that Kerry team. Yeah, sure. No more than I'm saying that that was a big uh, opportunity missed on, on Derry's part. Like, Kevin deserved to beat Derry, and then they were there in that position with Kerry. And yeah, like they had that big chance as well. Like, and that was probably a big opportunity for anybody to go win an Ulster or go win an All Ireland Championship. And when you see Tyrone going down to the All Ireland final, we saw all the Ulster teams earlier in that decade. I think the teams from the south of the border had gotten weaker. 
yeah, like that 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 must even even though that's a momentous year for Kevin and it hasn't been as good since, like that must sting that there probably was a, a boat mister. Yeah, potential boat. Right, we'll come back with performance of the weekend. Dear, great to finally get to interview you. Oh, really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah Why yeah. is it great? Why do you not do many interviews? I don't know, really. Um, I wasn't being asked to do a whole well. Really? Yeah. Have you ever rang me? I, mean, I know we spoke about the defensive side of things. If you're coming in and you want to be, if you want to be the Woolly Parkinson and and just play for myself and, and in, an intercounty corner forward isn't just hatching inside either. He's, no, you know, no. He's, uh, unfortunately for you, Woolly, <laughs> it won't last forever. You can ask ex-players that. You can ask your, you know that yourself, Woolly. Yeah. Um, Mine never started at yeah, all. Well, <laughs> that's, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Okay, Conan, performance of the weekend. We'll start off with Dermot McCabe. Um, I was interested that he was so young in 1997, but he had been playing since 95, so it's not like it was his first year or anything. Um, being asked to mark Anthony Tohill, did brilliantly on Tohill, it has to be said, especially in the first half. Um, won the throw in, like I said, got a huge point. Um, and basically, Tohill caught nothing off him, so he was breaking all toes. It was very difficult when a very good fetcher behind you wants to break everything. And especially when Dermot McCabe didn't have the ego to say, I'm going to fetch with Tohill at that time. Well, Tohill's not going to catch anything if he's just going to be spoiled. So Tohill couldn't dominate the game in the air. Maybe if McCabe had marked Tohill five years after that, that <laughs> he might have tried to catch with him, you know, and you might have seen Tohill dominate him. But when you're trying to break, it's a good lesson for any more inexperienced midfielder. Don't have an ego about it. Break the bloody ball off the, the bigger <laughs> yeah. Especially when the balls has been floated right to the middle, like it was back then. Um, yeah, McCabe was was aggressive, wasn't he? Like you know, even yeah. with those uh, like the balls that were going up into the middle, he was he was attacking them. He was just a real ball of energy. That that score was manic. Like you know, just the way he scripted from Lockhart's, it was a bad yeah. pass inside. But then like just <laughs> no pass, just went straight down and kicked it from about fifty yards, and probably had about twenty twenty to spare on it. Fair, yeah. Um, it was uh like it was great like great performance I've said it a couple of times but like you know to see Tohill being put up to like that it really showed what a massive game McCabe was having and like yeah and like from from Kevin's kickouts as well as you say he was taking him and a tour of the the place and just just a good footballer overall wasn't he like when he had the ball Uh, no he definitely was I think Ronan Carolyn was outstanding um, the whole way through the game and like I said roasted Henry Downey and didn't make a, a change on there until way too late when Gary Coleman went on and but he was scoring off the left and the right and like I, I remember him from the International Rules in 1998 he was on it when I when I was when I made that like he very very classy player and you know when he got it you thought something was going to happen right yeah, yeah. like yeah, I thought his um his set pieces as well obviously were real Pretty standard perfect, like yeah. It was real, like real victory for kicking the ball off the ground with him and Tohill on the same pitch, like just wrapping their their big toes around them. And the one, like the first one he got, was right out in the sideline, like you know, just pure class, just whipping it over from from that far back. Like, but yeah, just a again, like as I said, it was sobering. Like I haven't seen boys like Downey and Tohill having like that that much pressure put on them. Like and Downey was shifted out to the left too late. Like, you know, he should have been he should have been moved off him sooner. And actually what I thought that Derry were trying to do originally with 
Kieran McKeever following Damien O'Reilly was maybe free up down here just to be a classic number six, but it wasn't. It was a man on man battle, and and Carolyn got the better of it. And I was saying, Carolyn was dropping very deep, like he was contesting kickouts at one stage. I thought he'd been moved into midfield, um, you know, when Stephen King uh, was looking injured. But Henry Downey always seemed to be marking him. It was a, a confusing enough one, really. But Ronnie Carolyn looked like he would be equally as comfortable in midfield, anyways, because he's a big, big fella. Yeah, we got a good line out of Murray from that as well. It was like, you know, it shows how bad things are going when Henry Downey's winning a ball in the middle of the pitch. And it's like, what? <laughs> what he was won a lot of balls in the middle of the pitch and like he was following Carolyn out as well. And I think that sort of threw him. That, like, again, like this is why I think it was such a, a masterstroke. And maybe just Martin McHugh being a centre forward as well was able to figure out how to move Henry Downey around. Like, you know, tell Carolyn to go deep, get the ball. Downey was under pressure. And then what it meant was that Terry's fullback line was particularly under pressure. And when you're playing nice balls in with all that space and like you know it just worked for Kevin exactly Larry Riley is another one from Kevin they were those three were probably the big three for for um for Kevin you'd say uh, Jerry Sheridan did well on on Brawley but Brawley got very little ball you know but you still mm-hmm. you'd still nominate him for performance the weekend Larry Riley especially in the first half he set the tone for Kevin early he was all over the place he was a live wire he was impossible to mark um there was questionable two two bounces lads are saying to me on Twitter it must have been a very subtle two bounces because I didn't notice it at the time um, no. he he, uh, he was very good now he wasn't in it as much in the second half there's no point in saying and I do think Kieran McKeever did well on him in the second half and obviously gave him a shot off the ball into the back because Larry <laughs> Riley wasn't happy about it you remember then Larry gave him one kind of walking past him yeah. and it was a little bit like Kieran McKeever kind of thinking I'll slow this young lad down here now very quickly but that was it. Like he, he had his tail up. He had been roasting John McBride, which is obvious. McBride had a cornerback, and and then the two first balls that he got off McKeever, he was he was just he was running loose at that stage, and McKeever had just been shifted over to him after having been out in the middle of the pitch. Do you know? So it was probably some some change of pace going in there to mark your man with, with like his backup, and then like after those two balls, McKeever. Uh, obviously done something to him and like you listen to all the stories that Brawley would tell you about McKeever and I'm sure it wasn't just completely 100% clean and yeah it did seem to soften his cough a little bit and McKeever seemed a lot tighter then for the rest of the game he definitely did I, th- I don't know about you I thought here McKeever played well like I mean he Riley only took him for a point um, like he broke up the field a good few times he gave Joe Brawley a, a couple of good balls like the only one who was actually it looked to me like Kieran McKeever had a bit of faith in Joe Brawley because he was lo- you know what I mean he wanted, he was looking for him when he got it he scored the point in the second half I thought he was Derry's best player along with Gary Coleman yeah, like maybe I thought like Gary Coleman. I don't know. I just sort of expect a bit more from him as well. Like you're probably right that we came McKeever. Like I think he definitely had a good game going forward as well. Um, he obviously got a point, set up a lot. Yeah, in fairness, like he was probably the their best attacking threat. Like in terms of setting up things, but yeah, I I I was just had that memory of the first two balls from Larry Riley and just thinking that he was struggling as well. But like after that dunt or whatever happened and Laurie Riley went out of the game and then it was when Jason Riley came on that Kevin got back on top so yeah no, maybe maybe it was a bit harsh on him earlier um, I actually thought David O'Neill was very good as well you mentioned Finton yeah. Carroll being one of Kevin's best players like I thought O'Neill like, did expertly on him especially considering he took that awful boot to, a completely accidental boot to the yeah. north yeah, and like a real, like a, just a real classy fullback. Like, you know, we're always crying out for him. They keep coming back, you know, in the Derry jersey. And he won an Ulster club with Bilahelic, and they'd all tell you that 
you know, he just did all the man marking jobs for them. Like he took out some of the biggest names in Ulster club football. Right. So you have Sean Marty Lockhart, and you have him, and then you end up with Johnny McBride mar- man marking Larry. <laughs> <laughs> and Kieran McKeever. Like you, know, you had three of them. Yeah, Kieran McKeever. <laughs> Holy shit! Three of the best. Oh, it was bizarre. Markers. Three of the best man markers in the country, and you put uh, Johnny McBride, who's not a man marker, <laughs> who's a kind of it, Johnny McBride's a weird one in that. He, he, Johnny McBride was able to do a job in too many different positions and he didn't know whether he was coming or going, really, if you're being honest. And I felt probably with my career a little bit, when you're too versatile, you can't nail down somewhere. You can't just become good in somewhere, you know, at one position, because if somebody, if you're needed somewhere else, you'll just be moved in there. And Johnny McBride, like I saw Huey Emerson score three goals off that poor chap in a league match in Crow Park in, in was it, I think it was the same year in 1997. And like he's played centre back, he played midfield, he played wing forward, he's played everywhere up through the lines. Yeah, like that's it. Like he's one of those boys. There was always a debate about in Derry, like you know, where he should play because everybody knew. Like you want to see him play club football. Like he's a he's a he's a lord. Like he plays midfield for Loop, and or he did, and you know just. He was just a class footballer, like you know, and he isn't the tallest, but he was just he managed to hold his own. Yeah, not tall yeah. enough, probably for intercounty midfield. That was probably no, the thing. definitely, yeah, definitely shouldn't have been midfield. He played, he played centre forward now in the Derry team in two thousand and four. He got to the All Ireland semi final, um, and he was really good that year. But like, it's just there's always a school of thought that he should have been moved back to halfback at some stage in his career. But after the, those younger days, he seemed to always just be around the half forward line. But yeah, as you said, there was just debates, and he was moved around too often, probably, and just. Yeah. I, like he's remembered very fondly in Derry, like you know, because he's such a class player. But I just don't know if we saw, like, if you watch him at club level, like you'd think that he should be Derry's best player every week. Right. And I don't right. know if he was that. I've always followed his uh, career really because I remember in the '95 All Ireland Minor Final, Westmead were after beating us in the Leinster Final after three matches, and yeah. Shane Deering rugby tackled him at the very last attack. Do you remember that? Wasn't that Johnny McBride that Shane Deering rugby tackled? That was McBride, yeah, yeah, I remember that. That's my favourite ever moment <laughs> as a Derry fan, winning a quarter-final match. So sad. Oh, was that? No, this was in the minors in the All-Ireland final in 1990. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. Sorry, I thought you meant because you lost to Westmeath in the oh, Leinster. In the senior, yeah, so. yeah, in 04, yeah. Yeah. And that, that went to replay as well, didn't it? That went to a replay too, yeah, and they ended up playing Derry afterwards, yeah. So there's a few few similarities there. <laughs> I think uh, I think for performance of the weekend, it has to go to Ronan Carroll, and like it's a it was a close call between himself and Dermot McCabe, um, considering who Dermot McCabe was marking. But like I mean, let's be honest, Ronan Carroll was marking Henry Downey and was brilliant left or right. His left left footed point. Um, in the sec- start of the second half was a beautiful score to freeze and then kicked a lovely one off the right which dropped right on the net there's no mo- nothing more inspirational than the ones that hang in the air and then just land yeah. just over the, over the crossbar I thought he was the standout player from start to finish and that's not even mentioning the block um, on Anthony Cole <laughs> at the end you know a full, a full length block on what would have been you know almost a guaranteed score um, I think he's fully deserving performance of the weekend yeah, and like you know, that sort of had a bit of cuteness as well. Like you know, Tohul was hanging on to that ball. I thought, you know, I would have thought too long for anybody else. Like you know, but Tohul wanted to score because he's the best option to score. And Carol knew he was going to come on his right and just shift it across when Tohul was going last. And Carol had sort of anticipated it and got that that amazing block on him. Yeah, like I, I think he deserves it. Like he was definitely um, the standout of, of a lot of standouts and. For him to come come back from such a bad first half, you know, especially it's uh, it's really 
really good for him. <laughs> the Marty Morrissey <laughs> analyzed that first half. Right, okay, um, Colin, that's it. We'll we'll leave it there. We'll be back on Thursday. I'm not sure what we'll do yet, but sure, um, we'll be doing something anyways, and we'll talk to you then. Good luck. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a f***ing shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years.